HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, March 18th. This is the 57th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Now, for those who tuned in last week, we switched things up a bit. Our scheduled guest, Brett Friedman of Agency 21 Consulting, unfortunately wasn't able to make it. However, I hope you enjoyed our special on-the-road edition from South Beach Food and Wine Festival. Thanks to my engineer, Jack Inslee, who pulled the episode together and made all of my intros. It was fun to be on the road. Now, today, my guest is a dean of a terrific NYC-based culinary school, and I will introduce him in a moment. But first, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to go with the flow. Life happens, and not always as planned. But rather than stress about changes and unexpected circumstances, I say run with it. Worrying and getting upset about things that are out of our control doesn't help. It just makes the situation worse. So, as the expression goes, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And make the best of what you've got. It will lead to a happier life. That's my tip today. I'm very excited to have my guest here. It is Steven Zagor, the Dean of the School of Business and Management Studies at the Institute of Culinary Education, otherwise known as ICE. Stephen has over 25 years of experience in planning, development, and management of a wide variety of restaurants and retail food businesses. He began teaching at ICE in 2001, and he is now the Director of Management Programs. In addition, he is a Clinical Associate Professor in the College of Food, Nutrition, and Public Health at NYU. So welcome, Stephen. 
Thank you. Well, good to be here. Well, it's great to have you out here and get you on the radio. Well, I'm excited to be here. This is uh, really a treat for me. I, I don't get to Brooklyn as much as I'd like to, and I don't get to ever be on the radio, so it's wonderful to be here with you. Well, terrific. So now before you started deaning, um, I don't know if that's a word, but... It's a good enough word. <laughs> I'm going to use it. Okay. So before you became a dean and a teacher, you did a ton of consulting. You worked within the industry with restaurants. So how did you get started? Um, well, I mean, I don't want to go all the way back, but um, the early part of my career, I, I'm a purebred. I went to Cornell Hotel School and, and got a master's degree from Cornell Hotel. Cornell Hotel. And uh, I was fortunate to, early on in my career, learn how to make money and how to be successful from some of the big guys. And uh, at the very young age of 26 years old, I had the opportunity to open up my own restaurant. And I was living in those days down in Texas. Texas? Uh, Texas, because I could talk like a Texan. So, uh, I never pegged you as a Texas, uh, Texan guy. Sure, my family's even from the South. Oh, really? We are. We're all from South Carolina and Kentucky, yes. Who knew? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I hide the accent well, although I grew up with it all around the house. And um, so, so where in Texas? Yeah, I was in Houston. Okay. And had some really successful restaurants and had some great times, and as we all do, not such great times at points. And um, had a wonderful opportunity to really learn the business firsthand. And had them for quite a number of years. And um, at some point, people would come in and they would say, you know what, if you ever want to get out of the restaurant business, maybe you want to go into consulting someday. And uh, I always kind of tucked that away. And I thought, wow, the restaurant business is going to be for me. I'm going to make it my career. I'm going to be running businesses and having an empire. And, and times and circumstances occur. And that voice in the back of my head said, consulting, consulting. And... I would do a little freelance consulting, and then one day my partner and I decided to split up and end it, and um, I did call those people and went into consulting. Now, this is back in New York City? This was uh, in Texas. I started back okay. in Texas. So what were some of the projects you were consulting on? Um, over the years, I joined what ultimately became Coopers & Librand and then PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I had some of the most interesting people I've worked with over the years. I've been so lucky that um, my, I've worked for celebrities. I've worked for everyone. Seem, the restaurant business is a huge common denominator for people. Everyone seems to want to open a business or they get involved with it. Sometimes they get involved with it. They don't know they want to get involved with it. They're not happy to be in it. And so I've done projects, everything from... Um, over the years, I worked for Paul Newman when he was developing his restaurant up in Westport. I worked for someone that probably most of the listeners don't remember, a pretty well-known country music singer named Conway Twitty. I remember sitting in his living room in Nashville talking about opening a restaurant called Twitty City, which he did later on. Uh, I've worked for incredibly wealthy people and stayed in places like George Lucas's house in Santa Fe and and people that had interest in restaurants. Uh, I worked for famous restaurateurs like Warner Leroy and Joe Baum and Tony May and Shelley Fireman. And I even was involved in the very first feasibility study for Isaac Tigret, who was the, one of the founders of, uh, of Hard Rock Cafe. I also did one of the original feasibility studies for Planet Hollywood with Robert Earle. And... Um, 
just tons. I've done some quirky ones. I've, uh, I've represented a guy who made me sign 20-page confidentialities. He, wouldn't, he was from Chicago, and he decided that he needed to open the most glamorous topless club in the world. And he and I... Topless, not top top us. Not top us, (laughs) topless. Okay. And he wanted to do it through a chain of corporations so he would never be associated with it. And he and I together visited the top, top, topless clubs of the United States. Ah, fun job. It was a fun job. And um, (laughs) there were a lot of stories that went along with that time. And um, ultimately, he decided not to do it. He said there was just no way that he could possibly be remote from it enough so that he would not be someday discovered that he owns this business. So. Very interesting. So as a consultant, these were jobs that you were brought in for an opening, and then you would stay on board as well? All of the above. Sometimes they were businesses that had not opened, and they were ideas. And sometimes we were able to convince people the idea wasn't right. Um, other times they were operating businesses that needed, they weren't making enough money and they needed to refocus or they needed to expand. Uh, I've been involved in numerous litigations where I've been an expert witness on trials, um, some large federal RICO trials where there were uh, misdeeds in large food businesses all the way down to small restaurants here in New York where someone was suing somebody. So. It's a wide variety, a big gamut of different businesses and different types of projects to be in. It certainly sounds like it. And the names you, you mentioned, I knew most of them. I know you said Shelley Fireman. Oh, yes. And that was that was back in New York City. Yes. And, um, and you were with him for a couple of years, I believe. I actually did. I ended up working with Shelley. I started doing a little consulting, and I said, Shelley, you don't need me. You know what to do. And he always would smile and go, I do. And, uh, and then he said, but why don't you join me? And... It was a little bit like uh, being seduced by the devil. I thought that he was going to uh, not, um, I thought he was going to bring me in and I wasn't going to do things that were meaningful, but it was great. I ended up becoming the general manager of uh, Trattoria dell'Arte, which was at that time the, the diamond on his belt, and had three incredible years and learned a huge amount. He is a brilliant man. I know of him. I've never worked with him, but definitely uh, an influential, I would say, restaurateur in New York City. I've gotten to know that most of the very successful people that I've met are very quirky. (laughs) And quirky may be a nice way of putting their, they have certain issues with them. And I've I've had so many from Joe Baum to, to Robert Kirsch from Abigail Kirsch to to I've, I've had the pleasure of just meeting him. I mean, I was sitting in his living room with Warner Leroy towards the end of his career, listening to him tell me the story of his businesses. And, and um, it's just been absolutely really a fantastic opportunity to, to have a life. I even had a two-second story. I, uh, I have a student who said, my father, maybe you've heard of my father, and it turned out it was a man named Walt Henrian. And Walt Henrian was the person responsible for not starting TGI Fridays, Alan Stillman did, but taking TGI Fridays and making it the big national company that it was today. And then later on, he went in and did the same thing with Dave and Buster's. But he was very interesting because yeah. the first thing he said to me, he says, you know, I'm responsible for the potato skin. Ooh. And I said, I thought God was responsible for the <laughs> potato skin. He said, no, no. I am. I invented the potato skin as we know and love it. And I said, and he sent me these articles. The potato skin around the world. I was thinking the potato skin at 
TGI Fridays. Yes, which has been adapted, as he said, okay. by hundreds of other businesses. But he, he said to his grave he will always remember the potato skin. Well, we'll have to give him credit then. I know. <laughs> Those are all big brands. Now, how did you or why did you decide to get into teaching? I got into teaching because I really, all during my time in the food business and restaurant business, I was always teaching employees. I was always the person that had to show people. And then one day I got a call from a friend of mine who owned a company in those days called The Class Factory, which became The Learning Annex, which I don't know if that's around anymore or not. I know of The Learning Annex. I think it still is. I think so. And um, he said, would you ever be interested in teaching a class on how to open a restaurant? I said, sure. And it became the most popular restaurant in, this was, I was in Texas, in the South, a popular class in the Southwest. And I got incredibly great reviews. I was a, in undergraduate, I was a drama minor in college. So I had been used to getting up in front of people. And um, it turned out to be really a, a fantastic time. I enjoyed it a lot and I gave great information. And I thought, you know what, I'll tuck this away maybe one day. And then uh, um, when I moved back to New York, um, I had talked to people, and I said, why don't you go down to NYU? They're always looking for people. So I called NYU and sent my resume, and they hired me, and here I am. So you started at NYU before you were at ICE? I did. Oh, okay. Didn't know I, that. I did. I was at, I've was been at NYU almost, I hate to say, oh, 20 years. Oh, okay. Um, Got ex- it. Except for one year. I'm on a one-year basically a one-semester contract. Every year they renew, and you do well with the students, and such and such. And uh, One year they, um, they decided you can't come back because I had missed too many classes. I was juggling class schedules and business schedules and said, when you get, you can't miss too many classes. So, uh, But they said, they called me the following year and said, can you come back now? I said, sure. They missed you. They did. <laughs> Texas probably misses you. I, I don't know <laughs> if Texas misses me. I don't think Texas misses me at all. Well, I think there's a lot happening in Texas. I keep hearing uh, between uh, Houston and Austin and Dallas, and people are telling me there's a lot going on. I love Texas. Texas is a can-do place. Anybody with a dream and a drive can do it. And there's people that will believe in you and support you and... And the people are just inherently nice and, and giving, and it's a wonderful place. I never thought I'd leave Texas, but you, you just never know how things go. You never know. You never know. Okay, great. We're going to take a break here. So everyone stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome 
Welcome back to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Stephen Zagor, the Dean of the School of Business and Management Studies at ICE. So, Stephen, let's talk a little more about ICE. Now, you are a dean and you are also a teacher. So what what does that mean? What are, what are your responsibilities? Well, as the dean, I, that's a lot of administrative things. It's basically working with, we have 11 full and part-time instructors just in our area. And I work with them and I help them achieve the classes that they need to and achieve the satisfaction with the students. And, and I work with admissions and bringing people an understanding of what ICE is about. And I work with placement and helping to get our students jobs. And it's a whole variety of interesting things. But my, my heart is in the teaching because every day I get to go into a classroom full of career changers, which is what ICE is, and, or some a few high school grads and plenty of recent college grads who are looking at it as graduate school and plenty of people who are older that decide they don't like IT, they don't like Wall Street, they don't like law, they don't like medicine, and they really want to open a bakery. And I get to share their dreams every single day. And people say, how can you be a teacher every day and teach the same thing? And it's, it's, it's the most gratifying business. I, I am so overjoyed to look into people's eyes and think, I get to help them make their future and make their dreams come true. And, and it's, there's just not a, not a better high in the world, not the m- biggest moment that I ever had in the restaurant. The most incredible review does not take over that high. And, and every day I'm with chefs, I get to be in a place where there's food and creativity and energy. And in fact, I'm even learning chef lingo. I've never been a chef myself. For example, I always thought that a, a chef toque was uh, two chefs uh, smoking marijuana. <laughs> or uh, in the weeds was the same thing. Maybe they were visiting a dispensary in Colorado or um, a la minute. I thought that was what my wife always said about our sex life. Oh, just I'm not know talk about that. <laughs> or um, my favorite one, of course, was the fact that um, wasabi, which is, of course, is street talk for hello. Wasabi, baby. Oh, how funny. Oh, no. Should I keep going? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know if my, my listenership can handle all this. I don't know. Molecular gastronomy, <laughs> that's, uh, that's incest with two, that's a child from two chefs with incest. No. Oh, 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 no, no don't no, go no, there. No, no, don't go there. Or no. sous vide was a woman that I once dated and her sister, Bain Marie. Am I done? I'm yeah, done. Yeah, I think you might be I'm done. I'm done, okay. Um, whoa. <laughs> So, so you're the jokester te- teacher. I, well, so they, the students always do say that in all of the yeah. class reviews that uh, not only do I teach, but I am uh, relatively funny. So, uh, so, so these class. So, so tell me specifically the classes that you are teaching now I at, teach, at ICE. At ICE, I teach. We have the management class is a, is a class that basically is two focuses. One is entrepreneurial for folks that want to come in and actually start something relatively soon after they graduate, and we've had many that have. Or it's also the how-to. It's how do you actually do things in the business? How do you buy? How do you understand financials? How do you work with a designer and an architect? How do you, under, how do you plan a beverage and wine program? How do you structure the service and the hospitality culture of your business? How do you hire? How do you protect yourself from getting into a lawsuit? How do you market? How do you hire public relations people? How do you hire advertising? How do you go on social media? It's a very much of a hands-on kind of how-to, and we mix that with just an incredible number of guest lecturers and field trips to restaurants and 
taking my class in two weeks to an architect's office to show how a CAD system works and how, how to work with an architect. We take them to vendors, and the vendors say, if you don't do X, we will take advantage of you. And the, what we teach our students is so valuable. It's all the things, because of all of our instructors have been there and done it. And they will tell you, this, every day this is what we're going to do to save you money. And it becomes, it becomes their, their ethos. Every student breathes what we tell them. So how long is this course that, let's say, a, a typical someone who wants to open a bakery comes and takes this, one of your classes? What's, what do you recommend for them to take? It's, it's, the classes meet either, they meet 12 hours a week, uh, the, mon- the morning and the afternoon classes. The evening and the week, we have an evening class, which meets nine hours a week. And then we have uh, a hybrid class, which meets one weekday and one weekend day. And the morning and the afternoon classes, because they're 12 hours a week, they're about seven months. The evening and the weekend class are about nine months. And then from that point, a lot of our students decide they want to go out and work in a place before they do. In fact, some of them, even before they do, we try to get them positions and get them going. And in fact, um, in the newspaper today, uh, Will Gadara and and, uh, his wonderful restaurant, Lemon Madison Park, got four stars. And... We send tons of employees to him, both for the Nomad and Eleven Madison Park, and uh, and he's just one of many uh, that that is the recipient of our incredible students. Because our group, is, our students are so motivated. They're a little older, they're a little more, they can see the goal, so they really want to get out there and do it. And they love working with people like Will and, and Danny Meyer and all the people in New York. Yeah, if I went back in time, I would want to start over and work with those guys, too. I know. Uh, they're very successful, smart restaurateurs, and they're also nice people. And nice know? people, exactly right. Um, so, so for people who don't know about ICE, how large is the school? How many? Like, Tell us a, a little more about that, and I know you have a move coming up. We do. Uh, ICE has, uh, we have several divisions, our we have our professional class division, which is made up of four programs. Culinary, of course, which is our, our biggest program and the one that we're most noted for, which is chef training and kitchen training. And then we have a pastry program, which is also very popular. And then, of course, we have the culinary management program, which has been full-blown in existence for about 15 years now. And, and then there's also the newest program we have is a hospitality program, which basically teaches our students it's non-entrepreneurial. It teaches them how to be successful in the hotel business working for a larger hotel. Oh, okay. And that program, we run anywhere from 800 to 1,000 students a year. And then we also have the recreational division, which we're the largest recreational cooking school in the country, in the world, actually, where you and I could go and take sushi for couples or we could learn how to make... We could learn how to make uh, Italian-style steakhouse, or we could go and do any kind of interesting thing and become the, the success that we know we are at home for Thanksgiving. Yeah, knife skills, right? Knife skills, <laughs> and uh, we don't give out bandages or liquid bandages either. Uh, so we have a huge recreational program. And then, of course, we have our special events. We do lots and lots and lots of sometimes cooking boot camp, sometimes just parties. Lots of big corporations have parties with us. We have Sweet Sixteens, Bachelorette parties, just tons and tons of parties we have. 
and they use our kitchens. We have actual space that is non-kitchen that they use. And Christmas season, like any hotel or any event space, we are just jamming with parties. A lot going on. It is a lot going on. And I was at ICE uh, about six weeks ago with the New York Women's Culinary Alliance because uh, Rick Smilo is always very kind to the organization and, and provides us with space to do some of our events. So we had an event there, and Rick was kind enough to give us a little sneak peek at what was going on with the new facility yes. opening downtown. And I thought it was March was when you guys were targeting to get down there. We are. We're going to be moving imminently. It's, um, it's, we're hope it's going to be within the next uh, two or three weeks. And, um, it looked very impressive, this new, this new space. It's going to be the, the most beautiful urban culinary school in the world. It's got a hydroponic garden. It's got a beverage lab with all the latest beverage technology. It's going to have a, uh, a curing room where we're going to be able to cure salamis and meats. And we're also going to be one of the very, very few that has a bean-to-bar chocolate laboratory. Oh, where and we're going to have our students will be able to avail themselves of all of this, as well as it's going to be this gorgeous facility right on the water downtown at Brookfield Place. There's a lot happening downtown. A lot happening downtown, and we're really excited to be a, 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 a central part in that area. Well, I'm excited to check out the new, the new space once it opens. It's going to be really exciting. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, that's, that is exciting. So one more question before we take our break. Would you go back to owning your own restaurant? Um, I Probably not. I, uh, I had the opportunity not to leave ICE because I really like teaching, but I had the opportunity, I guess it's a while ago now, six or seven years ago, someone called me and said, I have a couple of million dollars and I really would like to do this something with you. And, um, and I did a business plan and I was not going to... Levi's. I was going to just find managers and run this thing, and and we came up with a, a terrific idea. I, I could say that if we want to, because um, I've always felt that what New York needs is a really, really great ice cream restaurant besides Serendipity. Uh-huh. Ice cream restaurant. I'm not talking about a small ice cream parlor. I mean a big place with cool food and interesting creative ice cream, like a extravaganza kind of place. And uh, we almost did it. We almost did it. Didn't quite work out, but we almost did it. Almost did it. Now I'm wondering what that person did with their millions of dollars. Well, it they was, didn't call me. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was right around the 2008-2009 when the economy was taking a yeah. little bit of a spin, and uh, at that point, we all felt it was probably more conservative not to do it, um, and we didn't. Okay. Well, good to know. Ice it cream was. has become hot though this year, especially yeah. I think in New York. A lot of small, but small, yes. very, very delicious ice cream places have opened. Ice cream is one of those things that's almost recession-proof to some degree because people look at ice cream mm-hmm. as something they're willing to splurge on, even in the bad times. And even when it's zero degrees out. Even when it's that's why Ben and Jerry started Ben and Jerry's in Vermont. You just <laughs> you just, you just yeah. never know how it's going to work out. True. Okay, great. So we're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game, talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Okay, we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest is Stephen Zagor. Time for my speed round game. So, Stephen, are you ready for a little game? I am ready. I'm buckled my seatbelt and I'm ready to go. All right. Excellent. I'm going to name two things. You pick your preference. Very easy. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Uh, Eat out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? That's a good one. I <laughs> think... Uh, <laughs> I finally stumped you. You did. I'll take all-inclusive. Okay. I wonder, is that something that's coming up in your in your classes? All the time. And yeah. If, you know, if we start predicting our crystal ball of the future, will tipping be something that we're going to be seeing in the next 10 years? That's going to be a big question. It is. I'm very, I'm very proud of that part of my speed round game. Considering I, I started asking that over a year ago. So yeah, you were, uh, you were on the <laughs> forefront of this one because uh, every, everybody I know in New York State passed that little, that little blip right a couple of weeks ago, yeah. increasing the tip credit. Holy smokes, it's going to take an effect on everybody's bottom line. Yes, it will continue to be a hot topic. Very much. Okay, let's keep going. You are very good at this game. How about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Running your own restaurant or consulting? Consulting. Teaching or deaning? Teaching. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Last one, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Sorry I'm in Brooklyn, but Manhattan. Very good. Well, thank you. I don't know if I passed or... You did I, pass. I don't know. You win, you win a discussion, an industry news discussion with me I'm, for, for I a little look, bit. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I will learn from you as, as I learn from my students. Uh, I think I'll be learning from you. So you mentioned this before. One of the articles I picked out today is the New York Times Restaurant Review of 11, 11 Madison Park by Pete Wells. Mm-hmm. Four stars. They were reviewed in 2009 by Frank Bruni, who had given it four stars. They've actually been reviewed, I I read, four times in total. And um, this is Daniel Hum, the chef and owner, his partner, Will Guadera. They're awesome people. Um, I dined there about a year and a half ago with a friend for no other reason than it was a Tuesday, and I wanted to go, and it blew our minds. It was... An amazing experience, and I'm very happy for these guys that they they have their stars and they're keeping all four of them. I, I am incredibly happy for them too. I've known Will for a long time. He was on the board at ICE. He's been a regular teacher and contributor, and as I mentioned, he is a, a great source of not only mentoring for our students but hires many, both of my NYU and my ICE students. And it couldn't happen to a greater guy. And he really challenged himself by taking four stars and reinventing it and adding in all the risk of not necessarily making it four stars again by totally reinventing the concept in many, many ways and still came out with four stars. What a tribute that is to his, his ethic, his values, his, his understanding of what excellence is. It's just terrific. 
It is. And they, they do take risks. And actually, Pete Wells, in his review, kind of was saying he didn't love all the the mm. games and the, the the fun stuff, which I loved. I mean, they do a magic trick. I think they still do. I mean, they, there was just little elements that were unexpected, and yet it was still at that, my opinion, that four-star level, and everything was... It was just the service was was perfect, but it wasn't pretentious at all. Mm-hmm. It was it was chill in in a in a refined way. If exactly. that makes any sense, it does. And <laughs> and the challenge, and this is what I tell my students all the time: the challenge is how do you stand out among the crowd? How do you differentiate yourself? How do you become that unique selling proposition? How do you have that what we call sizzle? That one thing that makes you so special and. When you're a four-star restaurant, I mean, Alinea does it a certain thing, and of course, Il Bulli did, and others. But when you when you're competing with others, you've got to do something, and you've got to kind of evaluate every moment of the experience. And there's a border between doing something that is different and doing something that's over the top, and people go, go react and go, "That was too kitschy." Right. No, it's interesting because I was telling you before the show, I was in Chicago this weekend, and I dined at Alinea for the first time. And the one word I would use to describe it was whimsical because it was, I mean, it was really interactive and fun and creative. And I'm, I'm still I'm still absorbing that experience and, and comparing it to, let's say, 11 Madison yeah. Park. Um, there are similarities, but yet a lot of differences. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think the room at 11 Madison also plays a part of it because it's so grand. It's like a cathedral. I mean, it has that grand. It's just you can't help but feel in awe. It's like Grand yeah. Central. It's that wonderful feeling of, wow. It is. It's a wow room. It, it's a wow room. <laughs> and, 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 and what you're mentioning is, and, and you know, if, if, we, if we look down the road at some of the future ideas um, of where restaurants might go in the future, one of them is that entertainment factor. It's the blurring of the distinction between eating and entertainment without going over the top and turning it into a theme restaurant or where, where, where people are doing crazy things like you, you see on the world's weirdest restaurants or something. All of a sudden, Ninja came into mind where I've never dined. I know, I know. But, but think of it this way. Think of restaurants where the back of the house and the front of the house becomes a little blurred and where you're almost eating in the kitchen or where the cooks are actually serving, which I know happens. Yeah, they do that Mm -hmm. at EMP. At EMP, as known (laughs) in the industry. And so you're starting to see the blurring because it becomes like eating in the home, except better and more formal and more creative. And that could be one of the trends that we're seeing as we go down the road in the next few years. You heard it here, folks. You got it. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about another article. So on Yahoo, the article is called Chefs from 20 of the World's Best Restaurants Pledge to Serve the Perfect Protein to Save the Oceans and Feed the World. And this I was reading about. It just happened the other day on March 17th in San Sebastian at the Basque Culinary Center, how these 20 of the best chefs in the world including Grant Atkins and Fran Adria and Massimo Botura, um, gathered, and that they are pledging to go on along with Oceana's campaign that to serve and highlight anchovies and other small fish at restaurants, which is a part of World Oceans Day coming up. Um, 
it seemed like a good cause or a good thing for them to be doing. Um, I find these fine dining restaurants typically do serve these smaller fish. Mm-hmm. You see them a lot on menus as mm-hmm. is, but I don't know. Do you have any insight on this? I don't, other <laughs> than my, I, I understand what they're doing, and I, and I personally love anchovies and herring. They're one of some, and sardines are some of my favorite things, and I, I lose friends over that because of the smell. But, oh, uh, I like them. Well, you're not one of the many, believe me. I, at least in my world, they're not. But, uh, but I love them too. And, and what's interesting about this is, is the fact that it is 20 a very well-known chefs. But this is really a token. And if you kind of look at it and say, there's, first of all, there's only two American chefs in this group. And, and in fact, if you actually understand that the, the top three countries that that consume seafood are China, Japan, and the United States. China and Japan are not represented in this at all. And the United States has just two chefs out of the many, 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 many wonderful chefs that we have. So this is really a token that has some high-profile people that are waving the flag, but I wish more kept to be done. I wish companies like like Red Lobster and Landry's that have a thousand seafood restaurants. That would be huge if they could make those people buy into it. It would be wonderful if there could be the countries that are the two largest seafood consumers, Japan and China, bought into this. They have wonderful chefs there. They weren't here either. That's a good point. It was mostly European, Spanish chefs. This is the 1% preaching to the 1% in some ways. Well, these restaurants that they represent are... What, like once in a lifetime places you go. Exactly. So, um, exactly. And I, 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 most of these names I've heard of because they are talked about in the food media as being influencers and having amazing restaurants. Mm-hmm. But that's a very interesting point. But we'll see. I mean, maybe though this will influence um, more you, moderately priced. You got to start. <laughs> Sometimes the trends start at the top. Yeah. So all the times that we go out and we realize, wow. This person was the first one to do molecular gastronomy, and now it's filtered down so that anybody can do molecular gastronomy. Anybody can do sous vide. I mean, the chemicals are out there. Anybody can buy them. The stuff for non Adria Pioneer is something that could be done in the, in the most modest bistro. You can start at the pinnacle and move down, but you know, if you want immediate results, I think they, hopefully they'll go to the next step and go to some of the bigger guys where they can yeah. and get to the people who are the average people that are going to be eating who are going to want to know these things too. Yeah, it's just getting me to think. It feels like two different worlds between the high-end restaurants and then the chains and mm-hmm. then there's the middle ground, that which most people exactly. are familiar with. But I don't know, New York City has chain restaurants even, and they're very popular, but I feel the people in our world, the the food industry world, don't, don't frequent them that we often. Don't. We don't even respect them to some degree. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, yeah. I know, I, and I have to tell you, I, we, had our, we had our instructors meeting, and we went in our building, our current building, there is Olive Garden. And I said, let's go have lunch at Olive Garden. Oh, and all my food snob teachers and everybody were going, oh, yeah, God, we're not going to Olive Garden. So I said, let's go to Olive Garden. So we went and we had Olive Garden. It happened to be Valentine's Day, which was no for lunch. So we go to Olive Garden, and it was great. Never-ending bowl of, is it salad and pasta? It was, yeah, and everyone could say, every one of our teams said, you know what, it's not bad, 
And good value. Good value. The interesting thing was we were very amused as they were sold out for Valentine's Day, <laughs> which was great. Good yeah, for them. Good for them. Exactly. Well, well, we'll have to see what happens with this as well. So. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see. In the meantime, I'm, I better get my uh, my herring and my sardines under because it'll probably go up in price if everyone's serving <laughs> it. Yes, work on that. Exactly. Okay, we're going to take one more break here, come back and do my solo dining experience. It's all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Raised by the rays of the falling sun Could I rage about you, Cupid? He's half the killer of the mighty Python So a typical Welcome back to On the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Now, this week I was in Chicago, and I went to Grace. So here's the rundown. The location, 652 West Randolph Street in Chicago's West Loop. The, the concept, ingredient-driven tasting menus. The chef and owner, Curtis Duffy, who worked his way up at the finest restaurants in Chicago, including Charlie Trotter's, Trio, and Alinea. Why did I go? Because this two-year-old restaurant has received numerous accolades, including three Michelin stars, an accomplishment in itself. An amazing accomplishment in itself. My experience. I arrived for my 8.30 p.m. reservation and was greeted by name. A nice touch by my, the hostess. I was seated at a two-top on the side of the restaurant facing the open kitchen, and I was offered to view a house Kindle while I enjoyed my meal, but I declined. Service was excellent and graceful. What did I get? There were two choices for the tasting menu. Flora, which was highlighting vegetables, and fauna, focusing on seafood and protein. I went with the fauna, which consisted of eight courses, plus the kitchen sent out a couple of the dishes from the flora menu for me to try. My take. Beautiful, original plating. Very clean, precise presentations with creative, with creative elements. Many dishes had interesting hard shells that once cracked into revealed a whole other element of surprises. Highlights for me were the Alaskan king crab with calamansi, cucumber, and lemon mint, the mizayaki beef with romaine, peanut, and Vietnamese herbs, and the passion fruit dessert with pineapple, lemongrass, and coriander, coriander blooms. The scene. A quiet atmosphere of sophisticated diners at well-spaced out tables in a pretty yet modest room. Perfect for anyone who appreciates innovative and refined food and is willing to pay for it. Interesting tidbit. Chef Curtis Duffy was not there that evening, as he was at South by Southwest, premiering his new documentary, For Grace, which follows the building of Grace from concrete to its opening night. Personal fun fact. The night before I dined at three-star Michelin restaurant Alinea, which was the most whimsical tasting menu I've ever had, as I said earlier, I also did a lot of solo dining over the weekend, including Achevel, Fat Rice, The Purple Pig, Sepia, Momotaro, Girl and the Goat, Publican, and Avec. Kept myself very busy. The cost, $205. Would I go back? Yes. Their website is grace-restaurant.com. If you, if 
you heard of Grace, you know, are you familiar at all with um, Curtis Duffy? I, I have heard the name, but I'm not familiar with it, no. Yeah, it was it was a pretty special restaurant. Uh, impressive. It must have been. How was the service? Service? It was, service was great. Perfect. Yeah, no, I, it, I was, I was, I guess I was, uh, Surprised or kind of in in a delightful way that they, they I sat down at the table and the hostess was do you want do you want to view our Kindle, and I was like, um, thank you, but no. I mean, it was it's a nice gesture for a single a single person at the restaurant to keep is, them busy. That is very nice. So that was a first for me. That is great. I mean, <laughs> who knows what they had on the Kindle? You might who knows? Out. Who knows? It could have been some incredible thing there. I know. Maybe I. I have. Uh-oh. I should have taken them up. That's right. Ah, regretting the decision. Oh, well, it might have been one of the movies that you missed for the Academy Awards. <laughs> but I'll, maybe. But I'll tell you, tasting menus solo, I find I'm very busy. Constantly coming, bringing me dishes, replating, conversation. It's, it's terrific because yeah. a lot of times, as you know, people that dine solo don't get the full level of hospitality and attention because you're not going to leave as big a tip as a two-person table. And right. They don't think enough of you, and so it's wonderful that they do that. Yeah. No, I think that I, I felt I felt very welcomed. So it was. I would recommend it. Terrific. Okay, it's time for the final question. Uh oh. Uh oh, no! This is good stuff. I'm okay. Ex- I'm excited. Next week, I'm having on Beverly Stephen and Jim Porras, who are formerly of Food Arts Magazine, and. I had an internship at Food Arts, and I'm just excited to have them on and talk about what they're doing now and about the magazine because I, I, I'm just it holds a special place in my heart. So, um, can you ask a question for Beverly and Jim? I just, I mean, I I hope that again that the incarnation of Food Arts because it's been a wonderful magazine and I, I I loved it for years and years and and I just I'm sure you're going to ask them about the future of publications and magazines and and how difficult it is to compete in, in that arena with all the different p- publications and how do you market yourself into a particular group of people because it's a, it's a challenge out there. And, uh, I mean, I love reading that magazine. It's a great magazine. I will, I will definitely find out. I'm, I'm hoping for a comeback. I'm hoping for a comeback, too. <laughs> okay, so great. That has been the show. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome, and, and thank you for inviting me. Anytime. I've been talking to Stephen Zagor, the Dean of the School of Business and Management Studies at the Institute of Culinary Education. Their website is ice.edu. He's on Twitter at Stephen Zagor, at Ice Culinary. My Twitter is at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry, at Heritage underscore Radio. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com. As always, our shows are archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Jack, and to Stephen and everyone out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next week when I'm back for a live show on Wednesday at 4 o'clock. I'm Sherry Bayer. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.